You're listening to Monocle on Sunday, first broadcast on the 18th of April 2021 on Monocle 24. Good morning from Zurich. You're listening to Monocle on Sunday with me, Tyler Brule. Coming up on today's programme. A familiar sound. Terraces will come alive again as Switzerland eases coronavirus restrictions and England loosens up its lockdown with a rush to hairdressers and pubs. We'll assess a step towards opening up for at least two nations. Chandra Kurt, Gillian Debias and Florian Egley are all here today to discuss those stories and many other things also ahead. Hello, I'm Monocle's Tokyo Bureau Chief Fiona Wilson. I'll be talking about why Japan has the most powerful passport in the world. More from Fiona Wilson a little bit later. Plus, we had to Reykjavik to ask the deputy editor of one of the Iceland's biggest newspapers what he's chosen to lead with this weekend. It's the 18th of April 2021, live from Zurich. This is Monocle on Sunday. Live from Zurich, this is Monocle on Sunday with Tyler Brulé. Good morning from a slightly overcast Zurich, but I don't think the mood uh, looks or feels anything like that. I'm very happy to say three regular voices around the mics, around the table here in Zurich. It's buzzy outside. People are lining up for their coffees already. On this almost sort of last day of of takeaway culture, uh, hopefully forever, uh, because uh, as we were saying at the top of the program, listeners, uh, London uh, opened up. Uh, Switzerland has certainly been open for retail uh, for almost a good two months now, but yes, Indeed, uh, terraces are opening uh, tomorrow. So it's it's only fitting uh, that we've got Gillian Tobias, who is still here. Chandra Kurt is here today as uh, as well. Florian Egley uh, back just in time from uh, from France. So uh, good to see all of you. Uh, Chandra, um, are you going to be celebrating this moment uh, tomorrow uh, by getting out there, supporting one of your local bars in the neighbourhood? Uh, mm. And also, good morning, by the way. Very nice to see you. Good morning, Tyler. Yeah, absolutely. I already made the working plan for tomorrow. So we start at six o'clock in the morning because at four o'clock we go to the Gumper wine bar and have our first drink outside. Oh, Gumper wine bar. I love the sound of that. Uh, Jillian, you might be able to join. I mean, as, you, as, as <laughs> yeah, we please, know, you, please. You, we're still in the country. <laughs> Your listeners, you, you heard uh, from Jillian and you've heard, been hearing from her uh, over, over the course of the past few weeks. This was the lady that arrived in the country who was, uh, who was supposed to leave after about seven days. Uh, we believe she uh, will be uh, getting on uh, some form of transport from Geneva later in the week and making her way back to the UK. Uh, but very nice to see you this morning. Uh, good morning. And and uh, where, where should we be going tomorrow? What, what do you want to experience uh, in this reopening moment? Well, it's interesting because I left the uh, office to Vorstrasse on Friday and walking to work today, all the bistro tables are out and there's kind of competitive bistro table dressing. And I think they um, uh, have competition because Monocle always looks so gorgeous with all its flower boxes. But I think you've kind of upped the ante on the street. Uh, so I think I'm, I'm going to work my way along the different outdoor terraces. But I w- yesterday I, c- I could see that there was some music and atmosphere. And I think it is going to be competitive because people are going to think, OK, how do we get the people to our terrace as opposed to next door terraces. So. Well, just you wait till uh, Rafi, uh, our, our colleague uh, who manages uh, the place here, he's got some special sun parasols that he's pulling out tomorrow out of the out of the arsenal. Uh. So we're taking it up a notch uh, <laughs> this morning. Florian Egli, welcome back from France. Was France good to you? Or were you good to France? 
I, I think it's a, it was a mutually beneficial relationship. It was absolutely beautiful. <laughs> uh, and uh, we were talking oyster season, uh, draw, drawing to a close. This was a, a, a bit of holiday or was just a, a new format of remote working for you? It was supposed to be a very efficient new form of remote work where I don't have that many meetings and I'm extremely you know, fast and effective at writing. And it turned out to be quite a holiday. Very good. Well, speaking of other fast and effective writers, uh, our Andrew Tuck uh, is also in London uh, this morning. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning. Are you? Are and, you? Uh, are, we are got you, to wait, see each other this week. Uh, we did get to see each other. Are you missing me already? It's been it's been a strain coming back, Tyler, especially since I'm locked down and I can't do anything. So yes, it was it was it was a fleeting uh, business trip to come and see you uh, in Zurich. But uh, yes. Uh, rather exciting to be on on the move again. Very good. Uh, listeners, you might have read Andrew's uh, column uh, yesterday. He was uh, over here. And as, as we said, it was our biggest separation. It was, you know, it was over four months we hadn't seen each other, uh, which we know. Uh, you know and, and I think you summed it up well. We, you know, we can almost uh, somehow uh, you know, f- you know, f- lull ourselves into the sense that everything is, is working well. And it feels, it feels like this new version of efficiency, isn't it? But then actually you're, you're able to sit down and, and almost solve all of the world's problems. And um, in less than half an hour. Well, the interesting thing is you suddenly realize that we're very good at having meetings and scheduling meetings and getting people on calls. But actually, it's just as important the bit that happens then in between those meetings. You, you, know, you, you leave a meeting and then you, you, you chat about something else, something, you, know, you, you, you discuss another project, you know, something's come to mind that you didn't think was quite right to talk about on a on a, on a formal call, so you, you, you spin off another idea, you have a glass of wine with someone, you go for coffee, you go for a walk. So all the, it's all the bits in between the meetings that are actually just as important. And, and I think you know, that's, that's what you suddenly realise when you reconnect with all your colleagues, that's the bit you've missed. You, you've spoken millions of times, but just, there's just this magic thread in between those th- things that just doesn't happen in this kind of you know, v- a video call world. Andrew, I mean, you talk about things in between and mag- magic threads. I heard you discovered a new a new club when you were in Zurich this week, which is which is a bit strange because things are supposed to be generally closed. But somehow, um, um, I, I believe you were out because you smell like cigars um, on uh, on Wednesday morning. <laughs> I got invited to a very uh, a very exclusive club called Papa Bears, um, which uh, the proprietor I'm not sure is going to be willing to reveal who they are. But um, there was uh, much merriment, and uh, it did also involve, at one point I seem to remember some walkie-talkies being used as well, and everybody getting their own handle. There was, there was Papa Bear, there was definitely Anaconda, and there was definitely g all all in action. Yeah, and uh, I'm, I'm happy to say that I believe that the, uh, the company responsible for this, um, I've, I've been told that there's uh, sweatshirts being produced um, a, as well, coasters, napkins. So Andrew, when, when you return, maybe this Papa Bear's place might, uh, might turn into even a, a more formal setup. <laughs> um, maybe it, it had very good hospitality. Oh, good, good, good. Um, Andrew, maybe we should uh, maybe just uh, start obviously with with news uh, on on your side of the channel. But of course, uh, what is what is a, a global story was of course beamed to screens around the world uh, yesterday. We were talking about this before we went on air. Of course, uh, the funeral for Prince Philip um, yesterday. But just some some thoughts and reflections from uh, from from your side, and and I guess uh, what is what is appearing on the pages of. Um, the, the UK nationals this morning. Well, I, I, I think just you know the, the sense of seeing the Queen so alone, 
brought home to everybody what, what it's like to lose, you know, a lifetime's partner, somebody who's been through every twist and turn, especially a, 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 the kind of life that the, the, the monarch has, has led. And seeing that image of her sitting completely alone with her face mask on and then dabbing an eye at one point, I think everybody was, was very cautious of how exposed she was in many ways. And that's the strange thing. You, the, you then saw you know, the, the various royals, the, the 30 that were allowed to uh, go into St. George's Chapel uh, ahead of the service, walking behind the coffin. And, you know, they're, they're, they're a mixed bag of <laughs> people. I'm not sure how excited people are to see Prince Andrew these days. But, you know, it was, it was, it was solemn and it was, it, was a, it was a very family event. You know, this isn't a, this isn't a, a brand on display here. It, it was a family event. And then I think the the stripped back nature of the the service actually worked very well. But it's also uh, you know just stepping aside, it's, it's it was fascinating to see how not a thing goes wrong because you, of course these events have been rehearsed again and again and again. And there's a, there was a, a pretty amazing moment where he, he his 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 body was in a coffin on the back of a Land Rover. It was taken off by the, the soldiers and, and the manoeuvring of it and then holding it there for the minute silence before the coffin went into the into the chapel it was it was it was pretty amazing to watch so i i think you know for for the for the for the royal family it was it was a, 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 a probably a good sobering day where people did connect with what with the story of the monarch Chandra, you said yesterday. Uh, of course, you were tuning. Uh, you tuned in for this um, a, as well, and uh, and said, yeah, that this was a was a was a sad moment. It made for a, a sad Saturday for you. No, absolutely. And then, really, like, like Andrew said, to to see her so suddenly, so small and so alone. And I think it's really this moment. All of us that are in a in a relationship are afraid of when this this moment suddenly happens and you're alone. And uh, but I thought it was so tender and it was almost a f it was very female always this music and and everybody you could see they they loved Philip they, they, it it was it was wonderful to to watch and to be part of it and I really was happy that I could watch it. Gillian, I was talking to your sister yesterday afternoon and and she said if if you think about one thing that uh, the UK does extremely well and and is, is exactly as Andrew said you know when you when you bring out you know, the military and when it comes to pomp and circumstance uh, and, and really absolutely being able to make sure that everything runs like clockwork and to time. So it was that, that in and of itself was, was emotional too. I think it was wonderful because the British do this so well. It was so monumental and so dramatic. And yet nothing was overplayed. This wasn't Hollywood. This was just respect and I think that's what you know touched everyone it was so respectful uh, for an incredible life an incredible man and it was very human and you know right down to you know there was the grandeur but then there were the smaller details of the open carriage with his hat and his gloves and his blanket and the sugar cubes he used to like to mm. give the horses so you know it, it, it was uh, macro micro it was very human I thought as well. Florian, even looking at the at the Swiss press this morning as well, for a country that doesn't have a monarchy, uh, which sits you know landlocked and uh, not not completely uh, well, it's also it's not surrounded by by countries uh, that uh, that have monarch. Well, actually, Liechtenstein. We shouldn't forget about Liechtenstein for a moment. But I was I was I was trying to do my my monarchy geography just uh, very quickly there. But nevertheless, here you have a, a, a country which is couldn't be further removed, but yet it plays incredibly large. In, in the likes of Blick this morning and, and elsewhere, this is this is still you know an important story even even within Switzerland. 
It's an important story, I think, but it's also no coincidence that it's an important story for Blick mainly. Um, so I think it may be, it may be, you know, what's important is kind of catching um, what 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 now um, Julian and Chandra have de- have described this this moment of of respect or or um, of kind of you know getting back to yourself and and slowing down and maybe it's it's more like displaying that as a symbol. I think in terms of the monarchy itself. There is not much importance um, that is given to it here. Also, by the way, not across the channel from England. So in France, um, this was a very small topic. At least I didn't perceive it as a big one. Um, so I think it's more kind of the the symbolism that mm. that is is getting covered, and that's partly also because I think this whole concept of the of the royal family, um, especially given you know the the recent I mean, some are scandals, some are people leaving the family. I think it's. It's it's probably losing importance in a world um, that is changing, where the, the Brits no longer have an empire, right? And so um, it's it's kind of the symbolism remains, mm-hmm. but the it's kind of maybe a bit of an empty shell because it's 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 getting portrayed for mainly the symbolism and and not so much the the political importance, mm-hmm. let's say. Uh, Andrew, it was um, probably lesson of the week as well, and maybe this marked it when we speak about symbolism, um, and maybe we should we should maybe move on to um, uh, the educational part of our. our show we sort of also had a moment this week too where we said um, as much as almost if you look at at yesterday's ceremony this was at a moment of pause and reflection Uh, we were saying from a business point of view maybe that there there could be also a real take a breath moment um, step back from things because that was a lot of what happened here not that it wasn't work being done but um, maybe this is also this business cycle that we're moving into right now everyone has been moving at an extraordinary pace um, and maybe there needs to be that moment to uh, to have a little bit of a of a reset moment as well. Well, I, I think the, the the interesting thing is just, just one tiny thing on that. You know that which we've also talked about with brands and with with all our lives as well, Tyler. Which is you know that this, the interesting thing about yesterday was you know here was a member of the royal family who didn't empathise, who didn't kind of have an Instagram account, who you know has hasn't got a Facebook page, who understood that brand power as it were also comes with a little bit of mystery about not revealing too much so he you know he'd spoken to the press many times and had his famous gaffes and things but there was still around him and the queen this 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 hard to manage with this air of of some sense of of mystery and intrigue so it's a it's a a small lesson but i think it's interesting for for other businesses to think about you know we're we're so used to sharing every single thing that we we do and we we are as companies and as individuals that sometimes you forget that this 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 mystery element this this you know it's a bit kind of sexier in a way to kind of hold things back and not tell everything so yeah, there's a there's a reset for the royal family. There's a reset for Brand UK at the moment, and I think that every country is going to go through this moment as it hopefully over the coming months eases out of the the, the pandemic and and has to kind of think about the things that it wants to do. And yet, as we re- regroup as societies after a year where many people haven't seen each other, have had difficult or, or, or unusual past years. I don't think everybody's going to be on the same page. So it's it, you do need these moments of reflection, whoever you are. And yesterday was just one writ large. But as I say, for me, there was this hint that perhaps we should think about what remains private and what remains public, and that all of us would benefit from uh, thinking about that a little bit more as we go ahead. Um, Andrew, I want to um, just... Uh 
move to um, maybe perhaps a, a slightly different phase of the program. And you were talking about brands and brand power, um, and it's it's very difficult to, to of course make a, make a segue um, to to talk about rosé. But I'm going to I'm going to do my best, um, and I'm going to uh, rewind uh, to to Tuesday. Chandra came around um, with some some bottles uh, from from elsewhere uh, in the country. And we had a tasting session, Andrew, um, because uh, our our uh, our COO decided that. Uh, it would maybe be a good idea that we we do something for spring, raise the mood. So uh, we're going to um, be doing a thousand bottles, special edition um, rosé. And uh, you, know, you were part of the tasting session. Jillian, I think, was leading the charge. Andrew, um, of course, Chandra overseeing uh, the, the the proceedings. Chandra, maybe just uh, tell us first before we go to our our, our regular uh, recommendation uh, session for for our panelists here. But t- maybe tell us a little bit about the wine that we chose um, and and when Monica listened and readers uh, will be able to purchase it. So we tasted uh, different uh, rosés from Switzerland, but in the end we decided for Oeil de Pertri, which is a, is a special Swiss rosé down of Pinot Noir, and it comes from the Volley. So it's a very, um, um, how do you say, easy drinking, fruit-driven, gentle rosé wine that will go very well with spring and summer. We, we, we try to be ready as soon as possible. And uh, we start with 1,000 bottles to see if, if, um, if uh, it will be appreciated. Well, I, I, at least uh, that, that first that sample bottle uh, went went down very well. Okay, listeners, this is the part of the program. Uh, of course, uh, you're very familiar with it now. Uh, panelists uh, come up with a brief for Chandra. Chandra, of course, is going to uh, tell you what you should be consuming uh, over the coming hours, days, and, and weeks. Um, uh, everyone knows how this runs at this point. Uh, Jillian, I'm going to, to start, uh, start with you. Uh, give Chandra your brief. It can be when you return to London. Uh, it can be uh, for some time uh, later. later in the day so I when I leave uh, Switzerland and go back to England I like to do a stop at the airport to coop and I stock up with those fabulous they're, they're the, the white veal or chicken sausages I really love them and then I usually get a little package of the sauerkraut so when I'm in quarantine when I get back I'm gonna fire up my barbecue and I'm gonna put on these lovely white Swiss sausages with sauerkraut what shall I drink on my terrace with my little barbecued sausages and my sauerkraut Perfect. Okay. No. No further questions um, around that. Uh, we're going to um, go over to to, to Florian. Uh, Florian, you're recently back uh, as well. The city is reopening. I guess even maybe the challenge for you is like, do people want to go around to Florian's balcony, or are they going to want to go to a terrace somewhere else? So there's a, there's a competitive element as well. I would imagine. You know, why should we come to Florian? So there is away. there is a competitive element so i think i need i have a kind of an emergency request so i need i need the bridge fuel because it's quite it's quite cold and quite uh quite cloudy here and um i've come back from kind of very you know windy and sunny um france um time so i need something that doesn't necessarily fully remind me of that but kind of um you know just gets me through one week because i think then um the skies are going to clear up here too um so yeah maybe maybe a bridge that makes it easier um, to settle in again. Okay, excellent. Um, Emma Nelson, back in London. Uh, right, so uh, hello Chandra, nice hello, to have Emma. you. So good to hear you. So this is more of a social question. Um, school is starting again back in the United Kingdom. We will all be going to the park with the children after school. So while they're climbing up trees and, and grazing their knees happily, we will have a picnic. Two questions. What is a wine to serve to a group of parents after school? And more importantly, when is the appropriate time to open the bottle without seeming a bit too desperate? 
<laughs> well, you heard I, I start tomorrow at four o'clock, but, but I don't have children. So. <laughs> I, might, I might join you at the comfort bar tomorrow. <laughs> uh, and uh, finally, uh, Andrew. Well, let's keep it in the vein of Prince Philip. Uh, recommend a wine. You know, some wines reveal everything about themselves as soon as you open the bottle. You can, you know, what you're going to get. You, you, you're from your first sip. You're reassured that it's going to be a comfortable journey down the bottle. But <laughs> tell us a wine that you think has a bit of mystery about it. That when you open it, there's there's more to learn as you have the second and third glass. Perfect. Okay. Uh, just, uh, I want to just to go to the house and home section of, uh, of this week's uh, Financial Times. Not sure if everyone saw this, um, but the story is uh, your own Dionysian uh, temple. And, and Chandra, I want you to reflect on this because the, the opening paragraph says, says, those who enjoy entertaining friends at home will have missed that pastime dearly at times during the past year. For me, sharing some great wines I've discovered after some persuasion from online UK merchants has had to wait until COVID-19 restrictions began to relax. This does not sound like a familiar story, especially if you know Chandra. Um, and, and obviously, uh, the, the ability uh, to, to go and go and consume. Uh, maybe this is also, you know, one, one thing we should think about, because, you know, so many people said, Oh, it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's been sad that restaurants are there. But also this, the discover this, well, the discovery that's been happening, I think around ones, you said, okay, you can go to the Gumper bar at four o'clock. But this has been an issue through this whole period as well. Because it's, you know, when you do entertain, if you go to a restaurant, you know, maybe it's, it's, two bottles and of course you start with something else but yeah i mean you, i know that I mean, let, and let's just i want to just go to this you, the point about this ft article i mean your wine cellar is is just a, an elevator right away and it's kind of endless they were talking that the british government has two and a half thousand cases i'm not sure how many you have below your apartment but it's it's you've got to be in league with the uk government well the postman rang really a lot this during this this more than a year and we actually we really ordered a lot of wine more than we usually do. And do I represent a lot of wine consumption? It looks like. No, um, <laughs> it, it is. I think a wine cellar is something very beautiful. And if you can spare or find a room to do this, it's, it it enriches every house like a library and and the wine library. So. Are there, are there some Chandra tips, though? Because, I mean, this goes on to, I mean, it, it veers off into some rather um, unpleasant design directions um, as, as well. Uh, but uh, There are you, some basics. There's, okay, so let's, let's, hear, let's Bas- hear the basics. Okay, so basics. So it should be, you know, it should be a dark room. So not too much light because light can affect the, the, the wine, if, especially if you have white bottles. It should be cold, below than 20 degrees, so 18 degrees. And, and important is that the temperature doesn't go up and down because then the wine starts to to ripen faster. So if you have a steady temperature below 20, humidity, not too humid. Think where cigars feel comfortable, like like 70% of humidity, the wines are good. And of course, it should be not in a place where a lot of other smells are, are um, mixing with, with the wine. Okay, well, that, that, that sounds a de- decent sort of basics um, as well. And what, what do you think is sort of, you know, if we think back over the last year, Chandra, that, uh, you know, maybe the postman, you know, there was times maybe he couldn't arrive, you know, what, what would you say is sort of the standard in terms of how many bottles or cases you should have on standby in case things <laughs> well, go really wrong? If you speak wrong? about myself, I always say as much as possible because you, you cannot, it, it's such a pleasure to, to see many bottles. But, you know, if you have only like 30, you will see how quickly you finish them. So it looks like 
like, you know, a few hundred, a couple of hundreds bottle is always good to have. Yeah, I think that that sounds fair, Jillian. <laughs> well, my poor guest, because I'm already thinking, where could I do it in my house? And I think the only way is the be- guest bedroom. So they're going to have nowhere to put their clothes. <laughs> and that's now going to be my wine cupboard, I think. Jillian, <laughs> uh, you're, as you said, you're heading, you're heading back uh, to, to the to the UK. Uh, and... Uh, it's, it's interesting because you left at a time, of course, when uh, everything was properly locked down. You returned to London, which is going to be open. Okay, of course, you're going to be in, uh, in, in quarantine for, for a few days. I was asking, of course, uh, before we went on air to, uh, to Emma, uh, if she'd been to that, that nice cafe on the river yet. She hadn't been. Uh, one thing you're looking forward to because so much, of, you know, so much has been closed for so long. So uh, when you get back next week, uh, well, I think it's doing? interesting when uh, you, know, you and Andrew were talking about the reset. I think it's really exciting to see how restaurants and hotels are suddenly having to look at where they can create outdoor space. So I'm going to go on a a little exploration to see some of these, like the Savoy. There's always had this long drive for the taxis to go up and down from the street. They've now closed that off and they've turned it into a bar and a terrace, an outdoor bar and terrace. And that's a very clever use of space because the taxis can just drop people off at the end of the street. There are a lot of hotels that never had outside space, the Dorchester and they're looking at roofs and, and all sorts of areas that uh, were re- used for deliveries. And suddenly they're being turned into wonderful terraces. So I'm going to go check out some of the more inventive ones. And I think they'll be here to stay. That's what I think is really good. It is a reset. And I think they'll be here to stay. Absolutely. Uh, it is a time to head back uh, to London. Now we're going to be talking to Fiona Wilson in a moment, also heading to Reykjavik. Uh, but first, uh, over to London. Emma Nelson's there with the news. Thank you very much indeed, Tyler. The Czech Republic has expelled 18 Russian diplomats over claims that Russian intelligence services were involved in an ammunition depot explosion in 2014. Doctors for the jailed Russian opposition activist Alexei Navalny have warned he could die within the next few days if not given medical attention. Canada has been placed on Switzerland's list of countries with an increased risk of infection by the coronavirus and at least a third of French wine production could be lost this year after a rare cold snap plunged temperatures to unseasonal sub zero levels. The French agriculture minister Julien de Normandie has described it as probably the greatest agricultural catastrophe of the beginning of the 21st century. Those are the headlines on Monocle 24. Back to you in Zurich, Tyler. Emma, very good. We'll be uh, back with you on the wine topic um, in about uh, 23 uh, or 24 minutes time. Uh, We're heading uh, to the middle of the Atlantic, uh, the North Atlantic to be exact. Uh, Time for a bit of a newspaper check and I'm very happy to say we're heading to Reykjavik. Carl Blundahl is there. He is the deputy editor of the Morgenbladet, uh, of course, one of Iceland's newspapers of record. Good morning, Carl. Good morning. How are you? I'm very well, uh, thank you. Uh, I know I don't. I know you don't want to be self-serving, but uh, there is a, a topic we should be looking at, uh, which, uh, of course, uh, with the lens uh, swings uh, all the way around uh, to to China, um, and and this is a story about a, a retiree who's been blacklisted uh, by by the Chinese government, uh, and uh, and it has to to do with something, of course, that appeared in your pages as well. It is. Uh, uh, Icelandic authorities are uh, going to be part of sanctions because of how the Chinese are treating uh, the Uyghurs in uh, Xinjiang in China. So the uh, Chinese have retaliated by blacklisting this uh, Icelandic citizen, a retiree. He's a, he's a lawyer. His name is Jonas Haraldsson. He has written some opinion pieces in our paper. And um, what he's been talking about, uh, how uh, messy the Chinese are around the Chinese embassy, about the behavior of Chinese tourists. And he's also been 
taking the Chinese to task because of how they've handled the coronavirus and have been urging states to uh, ask the Chinese for damages because of the uh, pandemic. And uh, they've taken this guy and they said, you know, he's been blacklisted. So the uh, uh, Icelandic foreign ministry, they uh, called him in and told him that the Chinese had done so. And the Chinese, they uh, confirmed this in a statement. Uh, but the, the, the poor guy, he just says, well, I don't plan to go to China anyway, and I'm not going to be opening any accounts there anytime soon. So he's just wondering how he has been pulled into this international spat. Now, now tell me, th- th- this is interesting because... Uh, you know, and and, and I, we haven't touched on this topic um, when we've been speaking, Carl. But uh, there is something about uh, the, the scale of the Chinese embassy in Reykjavik you know, for a country which, of course, is not that large. Of course, you have a very um, certainly interesting strategic position um, in the world. It's not exactly the smallest embassy in terms of, of staffing. So is that also how this this story also sort of bubbled up into being something so big? Because with all due respect, uh, you know, your your newspaper is is of course coming from from Iceland. And in the middle of the North, Island, but you know, you're not the New York Times. Uh, this is this is not a case. You're you're, you're not you're not Zeit. If you know, again, I, I say this, you know, in 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 all fairness. So, uh, why did this actually even ca- capture the attention of Beijing? Is it because uh, Beijing also pays close attention uh, to to their mission uh, in uh, in Reykjavik? Well, they, they do actually, and they they have they uh, uh, they have a large staff, and they have uh, big properties in Iceland, in Reykjavik, and. Uh, uh, some people are saying that they are being uh, um, overly active in Iceland because they are thinking about, you know, uh, uh, getting some kind of a foothold here. They whether they want plan to be part of uh, building uh, a new harbor on the east coast that might become a hub when the uh, sea lanes uh, across the, you know, the polar sea lanes open up. Uh, what they're planning, we, we don't know, but. Uh, some are saying that they are sort of strategically looking ahead and they have a focus on Iceland. Uh, but sort of if you look at what's going on now, every time something appears in Icelandic media regarding the Chinese, uh, they respond. The ambassador sends a response and he wants it to be published on our pages or, or wherever the criticism uh, appears. So they are very alert to everything that's being said here. So um, uh, I guess this is sort of uh, uh, a part of that, but uh, it uh, sounds like uh, uh, an allergic reaction uh, that's gone out of control. Mm. I, I'm, I'm curious, just uh, I guess, like ma- like many countries, of course, uh, if, if we look at uh, the state of the Icelandic economy, yours is an open economy. Um, but I, I would I would also assume that when it comes to something strategic, like thinking about uh, a port, uh, no matter where it is on, on your coast, these things would also have to come under under government review. I, I would imagine there would have to be some type of scrutiny um, that that Beijing or its agents uh, cannot just weigh in and uh, and and go and purchase willy nilly. Uh, within Iceland. You're right. You're absolutely right. So, uh, you know, planning something or having something in mind is one thing, but, you know, getting all the permits and being able to do it is quite another thing. Yes. Mm. Let, let's let's talk about, uh, speaking of permits, um, you have another story here uh, that um, people spent some, you know, 20% plus or, or more um, on, on properties, on real estate, um, in uh, in in the past year, I, I have sort of maybe some inkling as to why that was. Uh, but but what does that look like in real terms? Uh, if if I did a spin around Reykjavik or, or somewhere else in the country? 
well, it's, it's mainly in Reykjavik and the and the suburbs around Reykjavik. The, there's a, there's a real estate boom. Uh, there's a shortage of apartments, and if you're looking for an apartment, uh, you might expect to. It's, they're hard to find, hard to come by, and uh, the prices they're asking, they're mostly going for more. So you have to overbid, and you can expect to be overbid. So it's a it's a really difficult market, and people are looking for you know can, can be looking for a long time for something that suits them, and uh, the, you can be expected to you know make a bid and uh, you can, uh, be, to be overbid, and it can take a while. So it's a seller's market. Um, and, and, and what's it, happening? It, yes, sorry. Go, go ahead. Go ahead, Carl. Now, what's happening is that uh, some people are opting to move out of the city. So they rather, you know, uh, have a, uh, a 30 minute commute to go get to the job because and, and then they can have a bigger apartment for for a better price. Well, this is interesting. You say right there uh, that uh, it's a 30 minute commute to get to the job. I just have to ask a side question here. So this means that um, are, are people back in offices and will people be going back into offices uh, in, uh, in in Iceland? Yes, uh, we are. Uh, we, uh, we're just coming out of. Uh, we've just been uh, easing uh, restrictions on daily life, and uh, people are mostly going back to their offices. Yes, the schools are open, uh, and yeah, life is. Um, it's not quite normal, but it's pretty normal here. Which yeah, which you really, which which is very good here. I mean, one thing which is which is well, it's not normal, but it, maybe it could become become the a, a, a new version of of normal. And maybe it doesn't. It's not going to help those people with their commutes. Is obviously uh, traffic speed uh, limits are, are under review. Uh, it's not. It's, it's <laughs> not. Are. It's not. It's not going in a northerly direction, uh, from what I, I read here. Um, it, it is about, uh, of course, cutting down, having thirty kilometer zones, uh, also forty five kilometers on on uh, most streets, um, and. And that's the one thing. Whenever I'm in Reykjavik, I'm always amazed by you know the scale of some of the the vehicles. It, it is a country which likes its cars, um, and it, and you really sort of feel when you're in Iceland as well that you know yeah, North America is not very far away. So that you've got this kind of love of a lot of U.S. cars. I don't know if a lot of them were a hangover from uh, when America had a bigger bigger deployment at um, at Keflavik Air Force Base. But it is this really you know uh, you know interesting sort of crossover that you've got between great European cars and then. And then some rather large North American ones. Nevertheless, they're all going to have to be going less than thirty. Yes, but um, with the bigger cars, people are also saying, you know, they want to be able to, you know, go into the mountains. They want to be able to drive in the countryside. They want to be able to go into the mountains where you might have to uh, cross riverbeds and uh, be in uh, difficult terrain. So it's not all, only about speed. It's also also about being able to maneuver in uh, difficult circumstances. Mm. Now, and, and speaking of dis, uh, difficult circumstances as well, um, it, it wouldn't be uh, really an Icelandic conversation uh, if we didn't talk about tectonic plates um, and, and eruptions and eruptions. <laughs> yeah. So I'm almost becoming as, as, as routine as wearing a face mask. Um, but uh, <laughs> yes. what, 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 what's, what's happening uh, un, underfoot um, in, uh, in, in always sort of feisty Iceland? Well, uh, uh, earlier in the year, we had uh, a, a lot of earthquakes, and the earthquakes uh, turned out to be uh, sort of an advance uh, of an eruption that uh, started uh, a few weeks ago. And uh, the eruption is around 30 or 40 kilometers outside of Reykjavik. So on at night, you can see uh, a, a red uh, 
light sort of hovering uh, on the horizon. And uh, it's been quite a tourist attraction, or quite, quite an attraction. Also, Icelanders have been going there in droves. I think around 40,000 people have gone to, to see it. And, uh, and it's a magnificent sight. And uh, even though it sounds pretty scary, it's, uh, it is, uh, you could almost say, harmless. Although, you know, of course, an eruption where it's just spewing lava is never quite harmless. But you can go quite close and, uh, and, and yet be safe. And uh, uh, the, the, the new fissures opening, and uh, if, if the weather's good, you can expect thousands of people to go there. Uh, and, and it's sort of uh, the only place where you have uh, uh, lots of people coming together when everything else has been closed down. So it's been quite funny. You know, you can't go to the swimming pool, but you can go there and there are thousands of people around. And uh, because it's not uh, some sort of something that's being uh, organized or, or uh, public in any way, something where you're paying entry or anything, the authorities haven't done anything about it. It's just open to the public. So, um, yeah. Carl, just, yeah, just before we go very quickly, our Florian Egli has a, has a question. I don't know if he wants to know if it's a tourism question or if, if you've got a spare room or something for him, but uh, Florian, <laughs> go ahead. A spare, a spare <laughs> car to drive around, maybe. Um, no, so I, I mean, I just had a reflection and a question on your point um, about real estate, because I think that's something that we experience in, in many, many cities. And, and I think you know, one part is okay, then people are perhaps kind of moving moving elsewhere or, or looking elsewhere for houses. But um, another part is also, you know, there are policy responses to that. So, for example, um, the central bank in New Zealand in a first of, of its kind worldwide is now targeting real estate prices as well and not only inflation. Um, so I was just wondering whether there are some policy responses in Iceland as well, because also from the backdrop of, of the corona crisis, what we see is that people spend a lot less. So I I read, for example, in France, um, there is about 160 billion um, euros not being spent, which all goes into a lot of, um, you know, luxury goods demand and also real estate demand now. So it might be kind of also a, partly a result of, of this pandemic that we see these massive surges in real estate prices. And I was just wondering whether there are any um, interesting policy responses in Iceland to talk about. Well, for one thing, what they're doing is that they're um, trying to encourage uh, 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 construction of affordable housing and also uh, because uh, the apartments uh, there, there's been a lack of apartments that are small for people who are entering the uh, property market and now they're trying to change that but the thing is uh, while these are being constructed and they're also all, already criticizing that the, the too few of them are, are being constructed it takes time so in the meantime uh, you have uh, this situation in the property market where uh, prices are going up, there's a boom, and it's a seller's market, and it's a really difficult market. So people have to, you know, it's something that's going to change in the next couple of years, but the way things are right now, uh, it's not helping. Uh, Carl uh, Blundell, uh, deputy editor at the Morgenblatt newspaper in Reykjavik. Uh, we are going to have to uh, leave it there. It's at 10.43 here in Zurich. We're heading to Tokyo right after this. What can you learn in a minute? More than you think if you subscribe to Monocle's daily email newsletter. The Monocle Minute provides fresh analysis of breaking news and direct-to-your-inbox insights on everything from global affairs to entrepreneurship. 
On Saturdays with the weekend edition, we'll widen your horizons with Rye Observation, drinking and dining recommendations and must-know openings, plus Tyler Brulé's worldly weekly column too. Subscribe now at monocle.com slash minute. back with Monocle on Sunday with me, Tyler Brule, Florian Egli, Gillian DeBias, Chandra Kurt. We're heading over to talk to Fiona Wilson in Tokyo in a moment. But very quickly, Chandra, before we head to Tokyo, I have a, a note here from a reader um, from uh, a Mr. Elizabeth in London. He says, hello, will the bottles be available to London subscribers? He's talking about the 1,000 bottles of rosé. Is it one <laughs> bottle per purchase or is it first come, first serve? <laughs> Well, it's not me to decide that. <laughs> Depends how much we drink here. <laughs> and no, and you know, Swiss people are famous to drink all what they have. So. Yeah, this, this, so Mr. Elizabeth, if you're listening, uh, yeah, a lot of it tends to stay in the country. Um, so you might have to uh, be uh, be booking on Swiss uh, to, to get here. But uh, we'll, we'll leave it there for now. Uh, Fiona Wilson, our bureau chief in Tokyo, is standing by. Good afternoon, Fiona. Good afternoon. Lovely to hear about some rosé. Could definitely do some of that here in Tokyo. We'll we'll try to sort sort out a special care package uh, for you. A lot to go through. Uh, Japan very much in in, in the news this week. You've teased us with the passport story, uh, but maybe we don't want to start there. I was wondering maybe uh, we've we've seen obviously so many pictures of of Prime Minister Suka, President Biden um, together. Why don't we uh, start with this rather significant uh, mini-summit? That's right. Prime Minister Suga, first foreign leader to go to the White House, obviously absolutely thrilled in Japan about that. Um, I mean, he cut a slightly lonely figure, but um, he was very quickly calling President Biden Joe and... uh, and he was in turn being called Yoshi, which was quite startling to everyone in Japan. I don't think anyone calls Prime Minister Suga Yoshi, but um, it seemed to go very well. And there was a, you know, a statement that touched on all the, the uh, very predictable, to be honest. You know, it had already been flagged before talking about, you know, democracies working together. And um, it did talk about Taiwan, which was obviously a very good news for the, the Taiwanese government. And you know, I think really it was a, a diplomatic success for Suga, who's not really known for his diplomacy. Um, although the opposition were making noises about why was he going to uh, America when uh, things COVID-wise are not going brilliantly in Japan. So um, he, he sort of uh, will come back into that cauldron next week. Mm. And speaking of um, of cauldrons, uh, <laughs> listen, everyone will know that, uh, of course, it, it doesn't matter whether you're a region in Japan uh, or you're a corporation or you're a sports team, you have to have a mascot. You have to have some kind of Chan. Uh, we, you know, here at Monocle, of course, we have Mono-Chan, uh, who was uh, uh, also designed in Japan and also uh, when, when, when events return, um, will we'll be coming out again. Uh, but there's there sort of a, 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 rather, a rather unfortunate uh, mascot story um, as well that's uh, going into swift retirement, I understand. <laughs> it went into retirement almost as soon as it was, was announced. I mean, this really was a low point, I think, for, for Japanese mascots. It was it was a sort of cartoon character to represent tritium, which is a radioactive substance which will be released in uh, quantities into the sea if, if Japan's plan goes ahead. This is about the million tonnes of water, radioactive water, that uh, Japan needs to release somewhere, needs to do something with coming out of Fukushima Daiichi and they were trying to explain to the public what the problem is you know why it's perfectly safe and they thought what's be- what could be better than making a little mascot out of this uh, 
radioactive substance uh, clearly didn't work and it was promptly retired. <laughs> so I, I just I, I want to know what those um, yeah planning sessions look like, not just at a strategic level. Uh, can, can we describe um, what Triti Chan or whatever they're going to call him looked like? <laughs> He's, he was already being referred to as Tritium Kun on uh, social media, little little Tritium. But I mean, quite hard to describe him. He looked a bit like a fish with a plus sign coming out of his head. It looked like he may have uh, already imbibed quite a lot of tritium by the looks of it. Um, <laughs> he was not a winner. Clearly, not to be. No, no. Um, no, no, didn't come out on the positive side of that one. <laughs> so but, sayonara to him and a good thing too, I think. Yeah. Is it going to be sayonara for the Olympics? Uh, I mean, God, this, this is just um, ongoing now. It's like, you know, I mean, listen, Andrew was doing it. We had an interview that's coming up, of course, uh, with head of delivery from the IOC. It is going ahead. Of course, we hear Prime Minister Suga, it's going ahead. And then and then someone always seems to bubble up every week and say 70% of the country's against it. It's not happening. Um, mm. And and of mm. course, then it's sort of, you know, it's throwing all kinds of, um, yeah, spanners into the mix. Yeah, well, I mean, this was the biggest spanner of the lot last week. Um, Toshihiro Nikai, who is the Secretary General of the LDP, the ruling party, who is pretty much the most powerful man in Japan. Um, you know, he's, he's the kingmaker, really. And he, I mean, it seemed to come out of nowhere, said, look, if the Olympics is going to spread the virus, obviously we're going to cancel it. You know, otherwise, what's it for? And I think everyone was just like jaw on the floor. Well, that's what <laughs> critics have been saying for months now. And he said it. And I think it really, really shocked everyone because the line so far from the government has been, we're not talking about cancellation. It's going ahead. So for Nikai to say this really was a big shock. It went absolutely everywhere immediately. I mean, the government's been a bit quiet on the subject and trying to focus on the the, the diplomatic uh, success of Suga's visit to the White House instead. But I mean, there's no question it really put the cat among the pigeons. And, you know, so many interpretations. What was he trying to say with this beyond, you know, obviously it could be cancelled. Is it to put some pressure on the IOC behind the scenes? You know, great, great discussion in the Japanese media about it. But it, it really was uh, a shock, I think. Maybe a little bit of too much rosé watching this, looking at the Sakura or, so, or something like that. Um, <laughs> let's talk about uh, Japanese passports. And of course, this is a story which, which you know, bubbles up every year. And, and uh, we look at, uh, of course, countries where uh, that, that don't require a, a certain nation to have, you know, whether it's, you know, visas and, and it has to do with diplomatic representation and many things. Japan's on top this year. Yes, it's on top. Yeah, apparently I didn't know this. You know, it could can't be go anywhere. It's not, not very useful. But anyway, <laughs> that aside, <laughs> it's a hypothetical situation at the moment. But in theory, Japanese passport holders could go to 193 countries without visas, which which puts them on top um, and just ahead of Singapore, which was 192. Um, but no, as you say, no one's going anywhere really. So um, a bit of a moot point. But it was it was quite an interesting one. It was also interesting. To, China went up quite, uh, I mean, I wouldn't say it leapt exactly, but it, it's at 68th. Um, but if it, the, the ranking was, it was Japan, Singapore, and then South Korea and Germany, who were both on 191. So, you know, these are these are pretty good passports to have if you could go anywhere. So it's it's a sort of fantasy travel plan, I think, at this point. <laughs> I'll, I'll speak to you off air about my fantasy travel plans to Japan. But there's 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 another, there's, I'm having another intervention with, with some other agency in Switzerland. So uh, hopefully I'll see you uh, uh, in, in, in the coming months. Uh, Fiona Wilson, our yeah. bureau chief in uh, Tokyo. Have a very, very nice uh, Sunday evening. We'll try to uh, see what we can do about that bottle of rosé. Uh, <laughs> it's just gone uh, 10.51 here in Zurich. Uh, this means it's time to go back to Chandra Kurt. Um, but maybe, we'll, and we'll start with Gillian. 
uh, Gillian said at the top of the program, she's going to be going to Cope. She's going to be buying some uh, some some vice force, some some uh, light sausages, a bit of uh, sauerkraut as well before she heads back into quarantine. And Chandra has to, of course, advise on uh, what wine Gillian's going to be uh, consuming with her barbecue on her terrace. Well, of course, Swiss wine. I mean, you're here, <laughs> you have to bring one of these rare bottles back to the UK. And um, I will even suggest the white and the red, because the mm. sauerkraut will, might be a problem for the red wine. But uh, if, and, and we stay really classical Swiss, so red, you take a Pinot Noir, um, not too heavy. Um, you can even have it chilled sometimes, you know, it, it can be fresh. And I will go Graubünden, they're a little bit richer, but go to the Valais because you can even buy from the same producer. I saw in the airport in the duty free they have it. Uh, Jean René Germanier, it's a, it's a very family owned winery, very solid winery. Take a Pinot Noir from them, and they also produce the white wine that I suggest, the Petit Arvigne, which is a grape you only find in, in Switzerland. It's a, it's a slightly aromatic grape, and, and I'm not sure which bottle you will finish first because we already had together some drinking exercise, so you, you might <laughs> drink them parallel, so you will, well, you will see. I'll be in quarantine, so I'll be drinking both bottles yeah. all by myself. <laughs> so you will, maybe you compare when, when you have the dish both together and you will see what you prefer. Okay, uh, Florian, you, you were talking about some bridge bottle of, of wine, but maybe you need to qualify what exactly that, that means. <laughs> I don't know. I'm excited to hear what that means. I think. No, I understand. I understand what he means. You know, it's it's not yet warm here, but we are bordered to France, and you are still a little bit cold because it's too cold here. So you 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 stay in France. You know, I could have recommended you a Swiss wine, but stay in France. Go take a South French wine from Landoc, which is a, a richer. They have a lot of sun, and there's you find it in Cope. The Sigalus. Sigalus is a rich blend of what is it Merlot, Cabernet, Cabernet Franc, so all the, the, the strong grapes um, from Gérard Bertrand and you, it will take you to the real uh, Swiss spring. Perfect. You read me well, Chandra. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's go back to uh, London. Uh, Andrew uh, is there. And Andrew, you, you were talking a little bit about something which is might present itself in, in one way and reflecting on this this notion of why mystery is uh, is, is more than occasionally a good thing. Yes, I was just intrigued to know if there was a, a, a wine that was a bit a bit kind of like the royal family. You kind of think you know what you're going to get, but then it turns out to be a bit more of a mystery as you begin to unpack it. Absolutely, and it's the most complicated question you can ask me because, because to understand mystery wines, you know, you are in the essence. You are really the holy grail are the mystery wines, and they come from a region that is very connected to the to England. It's France, you know. They always had this this relationship together, and in France you go to Burgundy, and and I think next time you come to Zurich, we, we're gonna drink these mystery wines. The problem is they. They will work with your, with your spirit. You know, they come usually from monastery places, hundreds of years of ex- experience. And uh, but but we will drink something from from Comte Lafont or from Claude Mouche. We we have to go to Burgundy, and and then I explain you really the mystery. And it's good because Andrew, you're leading a bit of a mona- monastic lifestyle at the moment, anyway, <laughs> so it fits perfectly. No? <laughs> and I'll just just quickly say that um, we've already had the first email. If you check your email, Tyler, with somebody trying to place an order for the rosé. Okay, that, maybe yeah. we do two thousand bottles. I think I, 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 I think I think we should go up to two thousand bottles at this point, and, and we need and we need to get a container as well to the UK. Clearly, um, I mean so, something yeah, something for exactly. something for our summer market. Uh, Emma Nelson is in London. Emma. 
Uh, I think we can make that 3,000 bottles, please, um, because I'm going to be in... Uh, I know that you've been doing your drinking exercises, Chandra and Gillian, but um, I'm going to set up camp outside Gillian's house on the pavement. Um, so could you bring? A, could you send back a, a rescue package as well, if that's all right? I don't know how much space you've got in your... Uh, in your, in your um, in your suitcase. Uh, Chandra, mine was a uh, how to drink wine with other parents without looking desperate yes. request. And, and also the starting time as well. Yeah, well, yeah, obviously, that's just such an awful, awful... It, you, every way you're going to look bad. It's never going to end well. <laughs> well, actually, it was the most complicated question. I'm sorry. You know, there are so many things that have to fit. Yeah. And uh, also, don't forget that you didn't see a lot of parents for a while, so you, you, you know, you will be also excited that if you drink too fast, you're, you know, you misbehave suddenly in the park. <laughs> And, um, I never misbehave in the park, Chandra. <laughs> so first, my first thought was it has to be something that has not too much alcohol. So, so lower in alcohol. And there are some wines that have lower alcohol. And maybe also a wine that doesn't really look immediately like a wine. So yep. I, 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 it took me to the... To the, to the um, category of the pet nut wines. It, they are like usually a litre. Uh, it's in a litre bottle and they are crossed. How do you call a it? A litre. A litre? Yeah. What is the closure? Like a beer? How do you call it? Oh, now? yeah, it's got like a cap on the top. A cap. And, and they are, but they're all, they're, fun, they're like funky bubbles. So you, we call them funky <laughs> bubbles. They're light, they're low in alcohol. You find white, red and, and rosé. And, you know, nobody will really see that you, maybe could be something else. So I'm now doing secret drinking in front of parents with funky go, bubbles. Go, go for pet nut. Go, go to a wine shop and ask for pet nut and you will see how, how fun these wines are. Andrew, just uh, if you're there, but we were talking about walkie-talkies. I mean, that is, if that is not a walkie-talkie handle, funky <laughs> bubbles come in over. <laughs> and pet nut. And was a wine called... Yeah, pet nut. Bring pet the pet nut. <laughs> pet urgent, nut. Urgent. Bring the pet nut. Can I sh- so you want me to go into a park with a load of adults and go, can I show you my pet nut? We're going to have some funky bubbles. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, it's, gonna, it's a winner. It's a winner. Thank you, Chandra. No, you're welcome. Uh, uh, just, uh, just before we go, Andrew, very quickly, in, in, in 30 seconds, uh, what's coming up from the world of Monocle uh, this week? I know we've got the Entrepreneurs uh, is, uh, is in production, um, along with uh, a couple of other things, and also Confect, of course, hitting newsstand as well. Yes, and how great Confect looks in a few places around the world have full windows of Confect magazines now, especially here in London. So exciting to see how many people are discovering Confect and, and how it's traveling. But yes, two production weeks kind of in, in tandem. We'll be doing Entrepreneurs that Goes to Print on Friday and then straight into the next issue of the magazine as well. So it's going to be busy, Tyler, and uh, I'll be r- running some of it from my home for the next couple of days. Very good. Uh, Andrew Tuck, very, uh, thanks very much and very, very good to see you this week. Also, Chandra Kurt, uh, always great having you here. Florian Egley as well, uh, of course, Emma Nelson, and Gillian Tobias, almost a, a farewell uh, for you as well. So have a, have a fantastic trip back. Uh, also, thanks uh, to Carl Blundell and Reykjavik, Fiona Wilson in Tokyo, our producers today, Carlotta Ribello, uh, Emma Nelson, of course, in London, and our studio manager, here with Desiree Bentley in Zurich. And of course, Norhol looking after all of the audio delights today as well. I'm Tyler Brule. Monocle on Sunday is back at the very same time next week. Have a good weekend. Goodbye.